coming up on the Jonathan Lovegrove podcast. So mm. being in the rotunda at night by yourself with nobody in it, it's wow. just very surreal. So I've been on Air Force One four times. One of the more incredible experiences. Of, well, what used to take three hours takes about 45 minutes max. Hello, everybody. I'm Jonathan Lovegrove. Welcome back to the Lovegrove podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by William Timmons. He represents South Carolina's fourth district in the U.S. House. We're excited to be here in Greer at your office. Also a small business owner and a member of Christ Church. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Great, great to be with you. Well, it's great to be here in your Greer office. We're glad to have you locally back from Washington for a bit. I'd like to start with your perspective on what it's been like to serve in Washington with this new Congress, new leadership. How has that changed what it's like to serve in the House? Well, this is my third term. The first two terms I was in the minority. Um, Speaker Pelosi ran things very differently than Speaker McCarthy. And it has been uh, a breath of fresh air. Previously, votes took 45 minutes for the first vote. The second vote was supposed to be five minutes. Uh, but it generally took seven to ten. So uh, a couple votes would take hours. And now we have really, what is a 15-minute block? Uh, well, what used to take three hours takes about 45 minutes max. Wow. That's the short version. So uh, it is a much more efficiently run house. Uh, we be, Also, just being a majority, it's very different. We dictate policy. We legislate and we haven't really do, been doing a lot of that in the last four years, so it, mm-hmm. it's, it's very nice. So how has that changed, personally, your committee placements? Any new committee placements for you? So in the last two Congresses, I was both a member of the uh, Modernization Committee, and then I was the Vice Chair of the Modernization Committee, and that's where I spent most of my time. The Financial mm-hmm. Services Committee, I've been on for four years, I'm still on it, but uh, the Chairwoman uh, of the last four years was not very interested in doing much uh, policy making, much legislating. She was more messaging focused. So everything was about diversity, inclusion, and the environment, and we didn't really pass a lot of bills. So that's different on uh, financial services. We're actually doing some work, and they also put on oversight. But the biggest difference is no longer being on the modernization committee. That work has wrapped up. So um, I've basically taken what I spent most of my time on, and I've transitioned to more oversight and uh, more policy making on financial services. So what are some of the roles that you're doing specifically in oversight? How does that play in within Congress and does that interact with other branches? How does so, that work? Uh, the oversight committee in Congress has jurisdiction over the entire executive and legislative and judicial branch, the entire federal government. And our job is to basically be the conduit for transparency and uh, make sure that people are using money appropriately. It is literally everything. We have concurrent jurisdiction with all other committees of Congress. So while, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the IRS, the primary jurisdiction is Ways and Means, uh, we we have concurrent jurisdiction. And the committee leaders work together, um, but it's a very unique position. Uh, the, Mm -hmm. The Oversight Committee previously has been made up mostly of bomb throwers and people that are uh, very highly partisan. Mm -hmm. Speaker McCarthy intentionally tried to get some additional uh, people on on oversight to be more rounded. He actually intentionally made all the committees more well-rounded to have different uh, viewpoints on the political spectrum represented. Mm -hmm. So this is just a side question. 
How did that play into the State of the Union? Plus, I know you've had multiple States of the Union now. How did that change this year, or was it pretty similar? Well, so I was there for two State of the Unions with President Trump, and it mm-hmm. was, uh, he goes off script, he has fun, it's just very different. And uh, we did not have a State of the Union for uh, COVID, and then the second State of the Union was a little strange with Biden. And then this past one was um, very different. Uh, it was very different. The people that he invited, uh, most of the time the president has people in the gallery that he's going to recognize. And it, it's just the the disparity between what was focused on by Trump versus Biden cannot be uh Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. So with this new Congress, it started with the whole interesting scenario. Millions tuning into C-SPAN out of all channels to watch the speaker drama unfold. What was it like to be there on the floor? I know you supported McCarthy. How did that go for you? And how, what was it like to be on the floor as the Freedom Caucus members made their stand? You know, it was wild. Um, it, it's very interesting. It, it's all about tactics and there's ways to facilitate cha- facilitate change that is not as in your face and not as destructive but uh, you know I actually strongly agree with like 90 plus percent of the the, the demands that they had uh, the modernization committee actually made a lot of recommendations surrounding the same issues and a lot of those things were going to get done. A number of them, uh, I think, are going to prove to be problematic long term. But obviously, being on the floor, the first vote of 15 took, I don't know, two hours and 45 minutes. People uh, didn't just say, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy or Nancy Pelosi. They go on little diatribes. It's kind of silly. But mm-hmm. uh, after the fourth or fifth vote, we got it down to about 75 minutes because people were like, oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> uh, funny story, the last vote. Uh, the 15th vote was not supposed to happen until the following Monday mm-hmm. because uh, it, it seemed that there was not sufficient uh, support at that time. So after the 14th vote, uh, Patrick McHenry, the chairman of financial services, actually called a, a motion to adjourn until Monday. And so I voted yes, because that's what they wanted us to. And uh, I went back to my office. And I was in my office changing to go back to the hotel, and um, I turned on the TV, and I see uh, Dean Phillips, who's a, a Democrat, speaking on the floor, and I'm like, well, we're done. What's going on? And sure enough, we were voting again, and I'd left the floor because I thought we were mm-hmm. done. So it was, it was just wild. It would have been a very bad vote to miss, but Definitely. I, I hurried back and got there. <laughs> so, but we didn't leave the floor yeah. until like 3 in the morning. Wow. So your problem is not actually with the concessions as much as it is with the attitude and the way it went about? Is that your concern? Uh, I think uh, reasonable minds can differ on some of the things that, that, that were requested. The one one person motion to vacate the chair is going to be a major problem in June, July. Um, you will just see what happens. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna be a problem. Uh, as for a number of the other concessions that were made, you know, there's a system in place to get on the committees. There's a system in place to advance within a structure within the mm-hmm. conference. And when you violate that that system, we no longer have a system. So it's just going to create long-term repercussions. Uh, and I, I just think that 
when you when you overhaul incentive structures in that manner, it, it's going to have long-lasting impacts, and I think we'll be seeing the impact mm -hmm. of uh, overhauling the incentive structures in the Republican conference for many years to come. So the last interview on the podcast was with Adam Morgan. Okay. He chairs the South Carolina oh, State yeah. House Freedom Caucus. Do you think the U.S. Freedom Caucus reflects well on our state level? Because on policy, I presume you'd agree with the vast majority of issues with him. Yeah, I, I think we are definitely very similar politically. I think the the the, just the difference between D.C. and South Carolina is because of the rules of the House and the manner in which we elect a speaker, four people had an enormous amount of power. They just did. I mean, they mm -hmm. literally were able to force 15 speaker votes, get concessions, and the South Carolina State House is a super majority. I don't even know what they're up to now, but mm -hmm. it is a it is a uh, different scenario. So I think there's a lot of personalities that clash in Columbia, and um, you know, every every General Assembly, every every legislative body is going to have its challenges. But um, I'm I'm fighting the fight in D.C. and uh, glad that that they're fighting the fight in Columbia. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to end a bit more personally. Uh, this is a question I've always wondered. You've had a few years in the house now. Are there any moments or places where you just have to like pinch yourself? Like I'd have to imagine just walking around the Capitol building for your job. Like I'll give you three. So, okay. Uh, we've had a lot of late night votes, mm -hmm. and those votes take a long time. And so I'll be walking around the Capitol, uh, you know, at two in the morning, and there's no one in it. So mm -hmm. being in the rotunda at night by yourself with nobody in it, wow. it's just very surreal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great place to go and reflect. So I've been on Air Force One four times. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the more incredible experiences I've ever had. And uh, I went on a congressional delegation trip with uh, six senators. And we actually met with Zelensky in uh, Kiev mm -hmm. in August before the invasion. And... It was just surreal to, to be in uh, Kiev with six senators on this congressional delegation trip, hearing from Zelensky about the Russian aggressions at their mm -hmm. uh, eastern border. And obviously now, uh, years later, they've been invaded and it's been chaos. So I got a couple more just kind of like, how did I get here? What am I doing here? But mm -hmm. uh, they are uh, they are fairly often and it, it's, it's great. I, Somebody told me a long time ago, if you can go to the capital of the United States and not have the feeling of just awe, just like this is incredible, then you probably shouldn't be there anymore. So I still am just in awe mm -hmm. of, of the seat of our government. And it, it, it is an honor to serve in Washington. And I'm doing my best to you know, get our country back on track. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. heavy burden. Yeah. Well, there are four rapid fire questions I'm starting to ask at the end of every interview okay. so I can compare across our interviewees. First, what is your greatest achievement so far? Wow. So I'm currently one of seven members in Congress that uh, is both uh, serving in Congress and also serving in the military. It's been a lifelong mm -hmm. dream, dream to serve in the military and Congress just kind of happened. And so to be able to serve in both capacities while it is very challenging, it, it is uh, truly the honor of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. What is your greatest fear? Oh, man. Oh, we're getting deep here. 
you know, there's a real possibility that the next few years are really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, the decisions that are made in Washington have a serious impact on the day-to-day -day lives of people that have sent me to Washington to represent them. And we're not moving in the right direction. So I am afraid of the future of our country, whether it is relative to China, whether it's relative to debt, whether it's relative to mm -hmm. our reckless spending in Washington. And um, it's, it's a, a major challenge that we have to find a way to overcome. And I'm not convinced that we have the right people uh, working to overcome it. Okay, two really short ones here. Favorite vehicle? Vehicle? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think the BMW X7 is truly incredible, and I am partisan because it's made like five miles yeah, from here. Yeah, it's awesome. And then favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant? Our next-door neighbor, Select, is pretty incredible. Uh, we go there often every time we're mm -hmm. in town, so I definitely would say that's, that's my favorite restaurant nearby. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, and we appreciate the work you're doing in Washington. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you for listening to the Jonathan Lovegrove podcast. Make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you're listening so you never miss a future episode. We'll see you next time.